digital world is going to be much more decentralized, it's much more fluid, it, it is much more collaborative. And what we see is that there are many outside structures which used to be fixed are suddenly changing in digitization. You know, they are changing because things are much faster, things are more fluid. Um, and with that, I think it is really not possible anymore to work in fixed hierarchies because they are just simply too slow to respond to the external world. Hello and welcome to Speak Like a CEO, the leading podcast on CEO communications. I'm Lena Carlson and I'm here with Oliver Oust, the CEO of EOIPSO. Today we're speaking to Joanna Breidenbach, who is an anthropologist, author, co-founder, investor and entrepreneur. She's currently heading up Better Place Org and Better Place Lab. From the secret of a great speech to creating a self-managing business, Joanna is brimming with practical, tried and tested tricks to improving your communication. Thanks for coming on the show, Joanna. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm looking forward to our conversation. For people, for the few people who don't know you, do you want to give us a, a very short origin story of Joanna Breitenbach? Well, I was born in Hamburg, but I think that's maybe not so significant. I think for me, for my identity, I find the fact that I'm an, a cultural anthropologist significant because as an anthropologist, you always try to look fresh at the world and uh, you don't take things for granted. You think that there's no such thing as normal and that's a perspective which I like to have. So just looking at everything a bit from the distance also uh, and uh, exploring, you know, what's really happening. So coming from it as a perspective, as a cultural anthropologist, you've kind of dabbled in a couple of things from starting a couple of companies, writing a book, starting a podcast. How does that all come together for you? Well, I experience it as if it unfolds very naturally. So I usually have some spark, uh, some impulse, some interest, something which I find fascinating. And then I quite quickly think about what kind of a product could that be? So in the, my first career as an anthropologist, the products were mainly books and articles and uh, lectures. And then later on, it became Better Place, betterplace.org, and a few of the other companies which span up uh, off from that. But Better Place actually started when I did a trip around the world with my family, and my kids were 10 and 12 at the time. And we traveled for five months around the world and so many projects where we thought they would really need more, a bigger audience, you know, social projects, um, which were really exciting, where we felt that other people should be able to support them very easily. And that's then when the idea for a crowdfunding platform um, uh, was born. Um, and from there, really, things just evolve very naturally. Uh, very often, I just have an idea and I am inspired by it myself. <laughs> then I test it out with a few friends. Uh, so I really do like to uh, collaborate with other people. And all, all of my books have been co-authored. All of the companies I founded have been co-founded. So that's something I cherish. Your latest book called New Work Needs Inner Work has been received really well and a lot of people expressed interest and read it. And do, do you want to give us a quick update on where you are with the book? I know that you know, you, you're taking it to a bigger audience, international audience, and what the main thrust of the book is. Yeah, so the book originated in my own experience when in 2014 I decided that I wanted to look at my succession at Better Place, at the Better Place Lab, our think tank. And we then decided, inspired by a book by Frédéric Laloux, uh, Reinventing Organizations, 
that we would want to move the organization into self-management so that it doesn't have a boss. And in this book, New Work Needs Inner Work, we really trace the process of how can you move from a company with a functional hierarchy, which most of our companies are, into this new sphere of working very self-organized, without a boss, without fixed management functions. Because we found that it was a really interesting exploration and really interesting journey during which we learned so much that we felt this, what our learnings, you know, we wanted to share those learnings with a wider audience. And that's when the book came into being. And I was, I must say, I was, it was again a side project. We crowdfunded it on Start Next. Uh, we were surprised that so many people wanted to support it. Uh, we then, after it was published, we very easily found a good publisher um, who wanted to uh, publish the second edition. So again, this has been a very organic uh, development. What was actually the process for writing a book like for you? Um, we published two books last year and I would say it was very fun, but a very um, stress-inducing process. So how did you find it for you? Did it, did it go all smooth sailing? Were there hiccups? And how did you kind of really think about how to communicate your ideas to your audience? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the book is co-authored. So uh, the challenge here was that uh, my co-author, Bettina, who was our organizational developer, had never written a book before. But she, of course, had lots of insights into organizational development, into how she leads companies through a transition. And so what we did was that basically she provided some content and then I would really massage the content and put it into a form which was readable and which also mirrored my own experience because we wanted to share two perspectives in this book. So on the one hand, me as the entrepreneur who had let go of authority and power in a way, and on the other hand, her more structural approach of how do you actually lead teams from hierarchy to self-management. And the book was very much really written uh, on the side. So it was mainly work which I, I did on weekends, during the holidays. And because I've written so many books by now, it's a bit <laughs> less stressful because I know even though the blank page is still a bit you know, frightening, I still know that I will probably get it done. And so that takes some stress away from it. Love it. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I think we really had a very strong, you know, I don't, I don't want to say missionary impulse, but we were very excited about our findings. And so we really, there was some kind of a spark, which I think then translated into the manuscript. So it's an easier said than done, moving to self-organizing organization or teams. What's the main point companies need or organizations need to take into account to make it happen successfully? Well, in our observation, the problem is that we have this huge hype about new work and the future of work and self-management and agile and, and all of these buzzwords. And in my own experience, it, to, to do such a transformation really involved a much deeper transformation because all of the responsibilities and all of the capacities which normally sit with a CEO or a founder now need to be distributed to a whole team. So in a way, the whole team has to grow into a new shape. People have to take much more responsibilities. People have to be able to hold conflict much better. People have to be able to be more transparent communicators. So there's a whole set of skills and, and competencies which we felt and people who had entered the company as normal employees needed to learn 
in order to really be able to stir a company in a participatory way. Interesting. And, and for the leadership team, what does it mean in terms of communications? What do they need to change in terms of their style and their outlook on communications? Well, I think, you know, all of us in a way had to go through the same transformation. So there was not a specific transformation which was for more normal employees or for, you know, management functions. Some of the key things for me were that uh, people really needed to know themselves better. So for me, self-contact was a really important competency because in the minute you don't have so many external structures anymore, which usually give you security, you need to get that security elsewhere. And that security, if it's not there anymore in the outside world, needs to become, you know, come from your inner part. So you need to, in a way, be able to ground yourself more in yourself, be more oriented in yourself, know yourself better. You know, what are my interests? What are my needs? What are uh, my, my, my passions? What motivates me? All of this. And then you need to not only to be able to discern that in yourself, but also to communicate it in a way which lands with other people. And so for me, many of the skills which we needed to learn as a team, and why that's why the book is called New Work Needs Inner Work, is that on the one hand, you people needed to develop certain individual skills to know themselves better and to be able to reflect also on themselves in a more clear way. But many of them were also relational, and that's where communication of course comes into place and um, many were relational skills where you need to for example you know I think it's so interesting we are very often in business talk about facts and we want to have discussions where facts matter but very often it's emotions and it's relationship issues which are really coloring the facts and many teams I find are not very good at discerning between those two levels No, you know, so I might have a communication with a colleague and I fundamentally disagree on the facts. But, you know, maybe it's not so much the facts we disagree on, but maybe this colleague triggers something in me and I have much more of a relational issue with him or her. So that was one of the things which we try to discern. When is a conflict which we have, for example, in a team really based on facts, because we really do have different perspectives on a situation. Or when is it much more subtle and much more based on just our different emotional styles or that, you know, you remind me of my brother who always bullied me or whatever, you know. So there are so many things, of course. I mean, human beings are very complex. Uh, If you bring some of that complexity into communication, I think it becomes much more effective uh, and enjoyable. I find that so fascinating and it must be a deeply interesting study to conduct Do you think that teams really can self-manage then after, is that your conclusion at the end of it, that teams really can self-manage? And the reason I ask is we had Rafaela Ryan on the podcast maybe a year ago. She wrote a really interesting article about how flat hierarchies almost killed her work culture because suddenly people were all kind of left at the same level, not kind of knowing what drives them forward as an organization and who to communicate with. And so they actually suffered communicational issues on the other side by not having managers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really, you know, it's a big topic, of course. And I think in general, I do believe that self-management is something, you know, very possible. And I do think our world is moving into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that, first of all, because we've been now at Better Place Lab, we can look back at a five-year, six-year by now history of self-management, and it has worked in our case. 
but also because you know when you see the digital world um, the digital world is going to be much more decentralized it's much more fluid it, it is much more collaborative and what we see is that there are many outside structures which used to be fixed are suddenly changing in digitization you know they are changing because things are much faster things are more fluid um, and with that I think it is really not possible anymore to work in fixed hierarchies because they are just simply too slow to respond to the external world. When you look at companies who tried to um, set up a social media policy and every employee who wants to tweet or post something on Instagram has to go back through a chain of command to a head of communication, I mean, that's just so inefficient. Now, or in the legal department. As, as and the legal department, yeah. exactly. Mm. You know? So I do feel everybody in the company will have to learn to take more responsibility and to be more self-authoring and then also just to you know be have more freedom to express him or herself and for that of course you do need to have a very strong shared mission and a shared idea of you know, the purpose of your company because you know if you don't have that then you know you are going to get all different kinds of messages but when you have that and when you then give people the freedom to really you know speak with their own voice I think it's just going to be so much more effective, uh, quick, and it's also going to be much more authentic because people will feel that this is not a message which has been validated by five different uh, hierarchies, but which is really coming from, you know, it's a source of origin in a way. So for me, I find communication really is the key competence for our, you know, century. Um, because if you don't have fixed hierarchies anymore and fixed processes which regulate how you work, you need to be able to communicate better because communication is actually the glue which helps you know the team hold together and gets work done so the question for me is always how can we increase our communi communicative capacities in teams so that they can replace fixed hierarchies and fixed lines of command that's that's a really good point i mean we often talk about communications now being a hard skill and, and you essentially said the same thing in, in different words um, so you raised a very interesting point there. How do you then increase the communicative uh, effectiveness and competence of teams that are used to being fairly passive and in a controlled environment? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> We're talking about sort of traditional corporate environments, which, sure. which at the moment, and, and we see this day to day in our work, they're reaching the limits of what they can do because um, the world is moving way too fast for their traditional way of thinking and communicating and decision making. Obviously, sort of self-organizing is probably bridged too far for them, but clearly right. they need to speed up and improve and step up the game and, and arrive in the 21st century, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, I mean, um, I think there are a couple of points to your question. So first of all, what we discovered at Better Place Lab was that it really helped to, as Frederic Laloux says, to show up as a whole person in a team, especially in large companies. I must say I'm personally always struck how pale people are, how, how timid they are, how, less, how little they really dare to be themselves. They are so much afraid to stick out and to have their own more original personality. And I think that's just not going to work, you know, if you want to have, um, if, if bosses demand from teams to be more innovative and more creative, you know, they also have to uh, foster a culture where more dissent is possible, where more exploration is possible, more failures are possible. So it's a really huge uh, organizational cultural question on the one hand. 
On the other hand, I found it really fascinating that we learned that these are all skills which can be learned. Yeah. So um, good transparent communication is something which you can really train like a muscle, but you do need to train it. And I feel that there are in your everyday corporate culture, there are lots of entry points actually where teams can learn how to communicate more forcefully um, and step out of their comfort zone, which is always very boring and no innovation gets done, but step into maybe their inspirational zone uh, where they are a bit challenged, not too much. You don't want to move into the terror zone, but in this inspirational sphere where they can also explore themselves and, and try out new ideas, which they, you know, which are not regulated right from the start. So for example, what we do at Better Place Lab, we do check-ins yeah, where people in before meetings we just very briefly share how are you doing what's happening in your life right now and people can share also a bit more of the, the emotional stuff you know because of course that is important we are not machines so when we've just had a stressful morning with our spouse uh, because something went wrong you know of course that's going to affect us also in our ability to work fully focused so it's good if a team knows that right now there may, might be a stressful situation in your life which means that you can only be there maybe 70 percent and 30 percent is still processing your you know morning argument so this is something to to develop a clear culture about um, who Am I? What is happening in me? How do I see a certain situation? I think that's something which we can all learn. I also find uh, nonviolent communication, the principles of nonviolent communication, useful. And I know a few uh, self-organized teams in Berlin, like Soul Bottles, for example, which really make it mandatory that teams have just a weekend training. And what is nonviolent communication for our listeners? I mean, I'm not an expert, and I probably am also speaking quite often pretty violently, but and, and the main things are that you speak in I messages, so that you say, you know, I was disappointed, because I had expected that you would hand in this work by today, not, you know, you uh, are sloppy, and, you know, you didn't hand in that work, so that you really communicate more based on your own interests and needs. That's a really important thing. And then that you have empathy, uh, that you see the other person, that you're an active listener, that you don't, while somebody else is speaking, already think, how can I respond to this in the most you know, creative way, but that you actually take your time to listen. Those would be just two very basic uh, concepts and they make a big difference. And maybe one more um, communicative quality, which I have really learned to cherish uh, in the last few years, and that is what we would call meta-reflection, which is really that teams can develop a process awareness of what is happening in their group. So when we are normally speaking with each other, getting some work done, we speak very much horizontally, you know, we try to share information. And uh, it's a different perspective if you then, after you've had a meeting, for example, if you step back a bit and then actually look at the process, at the kind of conversations you've had from a meta level. And you can then discern certain patterns. You can discern, for example, whether only the alpha male in the group has spoken, whether it was a co-creative dialogue where lots of people uh, participated and share their perspective or whether some people didn't talk at all. Um, so I think it's really a beautiful exercise after a longer meeting if teams just take five minutes to learn to look at their conversation, to have a conversation about the conversation basically. And it really raises the level of insight uh, and it makes really interesting patterns which are normally always implicit, explicit. 
and you can just create lots more intelligence in a group that way. I find it so interesting how much you've really thought about communications in everything that you do, particularly because you're not a communications person per se, you know, you're a businesswoman, you're an author, you're an anthropologist. Do you think that has made you better at your job and more successful in what you've been doing to really put a priority or a focus on communications? Yes, <laughs> I would say yes. And, and my, my main point would be, you know, that I wouldn't even look so much into my outside, into the outside effect I have. I think it has just made me a more happy person because it means that I get to understand myself better. I get to express myself better. Also, when I run into difficulties, which I, of course, do all the time, it gives me some kind of an instrument to understand better why I ran into a certain difficulties. And do you find that people reciprocate it back to you then and are more open in their communication style? Yes, of course, not always, you know, and um, it's often also not possible. I mean, in an ideal world, you would have a meta reflection on, on all of these, uh, on every conversation, um, uh, but you don't. No, but in general, I do find that this a new level of clarity and precision to name something uh, for myself and uh, not to, for example, you know, we are so used to speak from positions. You know, this is what I want or this is, you know, how I see something. But if I really speak from what I need and what really interests me, it makes a huge difference. And so I do feel that this is a skill set which, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm over 50. Huh? And I mean, I never learned this until I was 49 <laughs> when I started on this way to <laughs> self-management. So for me, this is uh, astonishing how little we learn these skills, which are so fundamentally important to our just society that we don't le learn them at school, at university, um, unless we have a very specific interest um, yeah. in coaching and stuff like that. No? So yeah. it's a whole realm. And I think that, you know, we learned in our last two centuries, we learned so much about the outside world and about how the world functions. And we are so good at science and, you know, technology, but all of these more inner skills and what makes us social beings and how do we actually get on and also get things done, we really know very little about. And I think that's going to be, you know, at least my focus, not for the next century, unfortunately not, <laughs> but maybe for the next decade. <laughs> It's really fascinating. And, and what would you say with all that knowledge and your meta view you have as an anthropologist, which I, which I find really fascinating. I think we as communicators um, should really look at that more closely and, and have that sort of big picture view sometimes and psychological view. What would you just say, why are some people good communicators or what makes a good communicator? Well, when I look at myself, I can certainly say that um, I'm not a good communicator when I'm only in my head. And that's a problem I have. I mean, I'm a very heady person. <laughs> and so very often I experience my body only really from my chest upwards. And that's, you know, the kind of what I have on my screen and from the space from which I talk. And recently, or in the past 10 years, uh, maybe I have uh, developed quite a strong meditation practice. And I've learned much more to focus and also integrate what is happening in my body and what is happening in my emotions. And sometimes also to take a breath in between talking. <laughs> um, and so for me, um, I've noticed that my presence on a stage 
is much stronger when I am aligned in these three elements of body, emotions and mind um, than when I'm just speaking from my head. And I do feel that when I listen to people, this is something now which I try to observe, you know, from where do they speak? Do they speak mainly from their head or do they have like a whole body transmission, which then also, because, you know, of course we have so much intelligence. We don't only have our ears with which we understand words and our intellect, but we have, you know, so much more subtle um, communication is happening in the non-verbal uh, way. Um, and if that comes together, I think uh, messages are really coherent and really are able to reach people. Um, yeah, I think that's that, that's, that's fascinating. I mean, is there a shortcut to it? Let's say one of our listeners has a so is on a panel next week and said, "Well, that makes perfect sense. I want to be that aligned, but obviously I don't have time to start, uh, you know, <laughs> deep getting meditation. deep meditation. <laughs> and if I, even if I could start in the next few days, it's probably not going to lead to big results by next yeah. week. So, is there a shortcut? How would I actually go about this alignment? Well, I think, you know, you can very easily just bring, just focus on these different elements, you know, so when you go uh, to a panel, you know, take a deep breath, uh, focus on your body, see what you can observe in your body, where is it tight, where are things flowing, uh, focus on your emotion, you know, what can you actually discern anything, can you observe any emotion, very often, I mean, I myself find that if I look at my emotional self, I just have to say I'm a bit blank, you know, I'm okay, but I don't really, I find it pretty hard to actually access, um, you know, my emotions. Um, and also how busy is my mind? Um, and then, you know, you already have like these three elements on your screen. Also, what I do when I have a big audience, and this is some of my special sauce, <laughs> is that um, I do like to go on stage a bit earlier just to get a feeling for the stage and the room and then I imagine that with my feet I actually am connected to the whole floor yeah so I was once at this Palast Friedrichstadtpalast huh, in Berlin quite a big venue uh, or the Martin Schleier Halle in Stuttgart which really takes I don't know I think 10,000 people so I try I was on stage earlier and I just imagine that you know with my feet I can reach the whole auditorium and that way, in a way, I try to, my presence, in a way, reaches the whole space. And that takes away some of the discomfort I also experience being confronted with very big audiences, especially when the, you know, the limelight is on you and you only see into the dark. <laughs> That's pretty uncomfortable. Um, and so just to have a more an energetic feeling, I think, uh, and, and take, in a way, a certain possession of the space energetically, so these would be two things I could recommend and otherwise just start to meditate. I think it's really about putting it back in your control as opposed to letting things happen is what yeah. I'm seeing happen yeah. there. I wanted to come back to one point that you talked about before, which was collaboration. And that's clearly been a big part of all the work that you do. And I just wanted to get into the specifics of what that actually means to you to be collaborative and work collaboratively and the benefits to it. Right. Yeah, I feel it's fascinating because we talk about collaboration a lot in our society, you know, especially with all the digital tools like all the cloud solutions which allow us to share documents and, you know, instant communication tools like Slack and all of that. And at the same time, I do feel that we as humans um, have not really fully understood how to collaborate effectively. 
because co-creation actually is pretty difficult. And I also find that myself. I mean, I do like to just uh, design a product or project and then run it. And for me to step back and to say, well, let's see what other kind of intelligence, what other kinds of perspectives are there in this room, which I can integrate, um, is first of all, a bit of a rational decision. Because I know that in a world which is <clears throat> so diverse, it makes so much sense to not only come from my own perspective, but to include different perspectives, which can then cover more perspectives out there in the world. And that, you know, is whether you run an online platform like betterplace.org or if you sell coffee, you know, it's basically with everything, uh, you know, the diverse an audience you can reach is probably the better. Mm. And so uh, what I think what I've needed to learn was really to, first of all, to be clearer about what my contribution can be and then to listen in a, in a different way and to really just f fully open myself to my partner uh, or my partners and not only assume that I understand what they are saying, but to, in, in mediation, it's called looping. Yeah? So it's this thing whereby uh, you tell me something and then in order for me to make it clear that I really fully understood you, I'm just rephrasing it in my own words. And then you have the opportunity to say, uh, yeah, quite, but not actually, no, this is not exactly what I meant. Um, and so this share, this because we very often in communication you know, assume that what we've said is being heard. And of course, often that's not the case. So this is uh, also a technique in a way to loop, uh, which enables teams who want to collaborate to develop a more richer and more real understanding of their different interacting perspectives. And then, I mean, what I find really important in collaboration is that people know their competence, they know their competencies and what they can contribute. Because very often also self-management is understood to be like some grassroots democracy where everybody can contribute. And I mean, for me, that that's horrible <laughs> because, you know, people should contribute where they are most excellent at. And if I contribute to finance, no way, you know, people, you shouldn't let me have a voice, you know, <laughs> in the business planning of a project. Uh, so, and, and I find when people collaborate, they also need to have a very honest discussion about who can actually contribute what and also what they can't contribute. And I guess that comes back to that self-awareness then to say, what am I good at right. and where can I contribute effectively? Exactly, and also being able to stay in conflict and say, actually, your self-perception is maybe that you are good with, you know, uh, partner communication. But actually, you know, I've seen you run into a few interpersonal pro problems recently and, you know, maybe that's not your forty. And to be able to also challenge people in a constructive way, um, that's, I think, really important. Have you given some thought to how this would work um, when you come into a diverse setting then? So say you have people who come into a situation with very different communication styles or come from two different countries or perspectives. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, there's so many challenges there. And how does that kind of play out? Yeah, I mean, I do tend to believe as an anthropologist that, you know, in a, to a certain degree, every person has their own culture. So it doesn't necessarily need to be that different if you speak somebody from Syria than if you speak to somebody from, you know, Bavaria <laughs> or, you know, to, to somebody who has a very different mindset um, and is also German like I am. Um, and in, in all of these cases, I think it is really important to not have too many basic assumptions which are left unquestioned, but 
to be able to you know to 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 lay open in a way to disclose your the basic assumptions uh, from which you operate. Uh, and uh, in that way, just to have a much deeper, richer discussion, because when you just say something, you know, you qualify it. I come to this conclusion because this is my assumption. Um, and that way, we can have a much better understanding, I think, and also include cultural taboos or, you know, other rituals or um, habits in, in a more conscious way. I mean, despite all these challenges, which, which you found good techniques to deal with and for people to upskill and build capacity in this particular field, there are also some people who just have a natural or seemingly natural charismatic or magnetic presence that um, you know, makes them very fascinating speakers or leaders. Do you have any theory or have given thought to why is that and how could people potentially learn it? Yeah, I think I would like to come back then to this um, alignment and coherence between uh, body, emotions and uh, mind, because that for me is what creates a certain um, magnetism. Because, you know, you can imagine if I say something and if I say, oh, we are going to have a great sales year, you know, <laughs> for example, <laughs> at a company speech. And if my body, if I'm really pretty afraid that, you know, our sales is not going to be good because, you know, there are all these uh, new competitors in my field and my body actually signals fear um, or you know hesitation that's bound to give a message which is a bit off yeah so I feel the more aligned these elements are the stronger the magnetism can be and of course you know I mean there are different styles of communication there are different ways of, of how to express yourself. And I mean, I do think it is also, I think people come with a certain set of competencies or a certain set of, I don't know, maybe it's not even competencies, but you know, they just have natural talents for something. At the same time, I've been fascinated to see how this can also be developed. If you create safe spaces where people can explore themselves and where they can try to be more themselves and to be more outgoing and to develop their personality, then um, you know people actually can become more like themselves and that's a beautiful that's not only for a corporate context that's a beautiful thing but that's yeah. just beautiful for humans <laughs> in general um, and i feel that especially with digitization especially with uh, artificial intelligence and all of these developments which we have right now you know we we know that we are already in a situation where an algorithm can maybe understand you better than you can understand yourself you know, when you do eye tracking on how you look at certain visuals, for example, people know more about your preferences than you might know yourself. And for me, that's a scary vision. So in a way, I find that all of this digital stuff, which is now coming our way, really exerts some kind of an evolutionary pressure for people to upgrade their humanity in a way and to become more themselves and to be more attuned and to know themselves better because I certainly don't want uh, a machine uh, know more which party I'm going to vote for, what product I'm most likely to buy uh, and uh, what kind of sexual preference I have. You know, I think that's scary. So in so a way, crazy. You know, yeah, yeah. So I think it does, there's a strong impetus for, for this more self-discovery and uh, getting to know yourself better. Thanks so much, Joanne, for your interesting insights. I'm sure we could go for a whole other podcast on the topic. Um, is there anything interesting coming up for you in the next couple of months you wanted to share? Well, I do actually have a, an online course coming up uh, based on the book New Work Needs Inner Work. 
uh, Bettina Rollo, my co-author, and I um, have just uh, filmed um, 36 videos, I believe. Wow. And um, yeah, I'm excited to have that published. Well, we look forward to that then. Wonderful. Where do people find it? Uh, it's going to be unteachable, but we are going to have our own website for it. So new work needs inner work. Perfect. Thank you so much. I'm stunned. I think it's a lot too fast to digest and, and, you know, study closer. For sure, what I will take away is the, the alignment of body, emotions and mind to upgrade our humanity in the face of AI and sort of the technological, comp you know, competition that, that is growing very fast. And uh, I, I think we'd like to be with you on that journey to raise the consciousness of humanity <laughs> by means of communications and hopefully for many more episodes to come. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you so much for such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for this nice discussion. For the past few years, I've been gathering insights from some of the most interesting CEOs and founders in Europe. And what this podcast makes clear every week is that personal and professional success is largely dependent on your reputation. If people understand who you are and what you are about, the right opportunities are more likely to come your way. That's why I developed an online course on how to successfully build your personal brand online. Now, I strongly believe that anyone has the potential to build a great reputation. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to benefit from my experience working with CEOs and executives for the past 20 years. If you're working towards a promotion, if you're hoping to kickstart your career or your business, or looking to invest in your personal development, this course takes you through every step of building a strong online presence. Get all the advantages of working with top communications consultants without the cost. And if you're not completely sold, I'm giving away free copies of my ebook, An Expert's Guide to Personal Branding, over my website. Don't let a lack of online presence be a barrier to your success. Head over to oliverhouse.com and start building your personal brand today.